Welcome to Venn Presents, exploring the depths and riches of the Christian faith. This episode begins a new series of conversations with women and men who are passionate about following Christ in the whole of life. We'll be going behind the moments of success and endeavour to talk with remarkable people about their ordinary life with God, at work, rest and play. As you listen, we hope you'll be able to imagine how the gospel might look in the communities and callings you find yourself in today. Now, over to host Sam Bloor. Welcome to the program. My name's Sam Bloor and I'm joined today by Rebecca Dow. Bex, great to have you with me. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> really good to have you on. And this is the first one, so you get to be first guest for, for this series. What a first privilege. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. <laughs> it's great to be here. Great to have you here. That song that we've just come in on is called Establish the Work of Our Hands and it's from an album that the Porter's Gate Worship Project did called Work Songs uh, a number of years ago and we actually included some of those songs in a podcast series that we did a while back when we were doing The Good of Work and now that we're sort of turning to sort of specific vocations um, that's really what our our kind of conversation and our prayer is going to be that God would establish the work of our hands in, in all of these locational areas. So Bex, you can add that to your Spotify playlist. <laughs> Love to, sounds great. <laughs> We're going to be getting to some of what you might be listening to uh, over recent weeks and months as well. Bex, we could have had you on the program in a range of capacities and we'll get to some of those, but it's primarily going to be education that we're going to be chatting about today. And one of the reasons I'm excited about it is is that you're excited about it. Mm. And so I think this is really going to be interesting for a a range of people who are listening. Um, I think parents are going to get a lot out of this or people who have got young adults (laughs) in their lives, uh, young people in their lives, kids in their lives, aunties, uncles. But actually, you're passionate about education almost in any form that it takes, including (laughs) adults as well, just learning in general. Mm. Um, Tell us a bit about that and tell us how you became passionate about it. Can you can you remember back to where that where that started, where that sort of came from? Yeah. And then just a bit about your journey into it. I've always been interested in people, you know, people on multiple levels. I find myself thinking like, you know, how do people work, how to um how to come alongside people well, um, how organizations can serve people. Right. Um so, you know, with those questions from actually quite a young age, I found myself thinking, you know, like how can I best um, positioned myself to be with people on a daily basis. Um, and I mean, I have to note that um, I come from a family of educators. Okay. Um, even from a young age, I loved school myself. Um, my parents lived and breathed it. They started the school. So in many ways, we like to joke about the fact that we were born into a school environment ourselves and uh, our dinner table was often a place of discussing the good and the bad things of the school day. Um, So I learned to critique education from a young age, but I have to say that actually I tried to ignore that passion initially um, and I stepped into uh, thinking that I'd actually go into more of a social work um, capacity and working with people. So I went to Otago University and I did an undergrad in social work and history, thinking, okay, 
you know, this will be my niche, not my family's niche. This will be my niche. Um, and I was, I loved the degree. I was um, provided with a deep, rich understanding of, you know, world history and uh, social issues in New Zealand, frameworks that I could kind of, that helped me to understand people better. But near the end of my degree, there was something within me that knew that I actually wouldn't work in that sector. It was quite profound, actually. I remember finishing my final exam and thinking, okay, I've done the theory, now I need to figure out where I'm going to translate all of this learning. Um, And I actually vividly remember um, ringing my parents up in the far north, so I was miles away from them, ringing them up and saying, I think I might do post-grad teaching. There's this big pause at the other end of the phone. And my mum said, that's great. We thought you would. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So they, they, they had a, a sort of an inkling that's where yeah. you were going to land. Yeah. And you've absolutely. kind of, I mean, in terms of where you've gone with teaching, you've, you've made up for lost time. When I think about some of the things that I know you've done, and I probably mm. only know a fraction of it, but you've, you've been ad- advising at a political level on yep. this. You've been involved in... Uh, the establishment and management of different schools. You're currently out at Laidlaw doing that. We'll get we'll get to some of this in a moment. Mm. And do, doing a PhD, mm. looking at education theory mm. and things. We'll ask you specifically mm. uh, about some of those. But maybe in broad brushstrokes, what have some of those seasons been from that realisation at university through to what you're doing now? I think I need to start um, to frame it by saying that I'm a real learner. Um, in terms of strengths finder, learner is like right at the top there. Um, I thrive in situations where I am actually learning. I'm learning uh, new material, new theory, but I'm also trying to find um, ways to uh, to uh, see the outworking of that learning as well. Right. Um, it's funny, like if I think about my 20-year-old self, you know, in the whole formational process of like figuring out where I'm going to go in terms of my vocation, I never anticipated that I would be that sort of person. Um, I've never been very like career focused, um, but it's just actually what's happened <laughs> is I, yeah, you know, went from my post grad um, uh, teaching uh, a graduate diploma, and actually returned to my home school, which was uh, quite an interesting situation. My English teacher went on uh, study leave to do his own masters, and so I got a call up to say, you know, will you come and be? you know, the new English teacher, and that was quite bizarre. But I yes, loved I going back. I there's some people listening that uh, <laughs> would not be asked to darken the doorstep of their high school. No. <laughs> high school, is this what we're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, so it was quite a fascinating experience, stepping back into that environment um, and taking up my post as a teacher. Absolutely loved it, loved it. Thought wow. that, um, you know, I had, in many ways, being just given the keys to just this incredible experience. Like, I get to be in this classroom with these students, leading them through this process of learning and just enjoying it relationally, enjoying it professionally. You know, classroom teaching was where I felt, I just found so much joy. But I also found so much challenge, which was like a really good mix for me. Uh, But after three years of being there, uh, there was something that... I just felt quite unsettled. I was like, I, I need to explore something a bit more. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll go into the international teaching um, scene, thinking, okay, maybe I've gone back to my hometown. This is maybe where I'm just a little bit stale. I'm just needing some new experiences. So you almost like use that as an opportunity to travel with it? Yeah. Is that, is that one of the 
attractions to teaching? To, absolutely. To, is that what, how people sort of sell teacher training? Yeah. Is like you can travel with this. Absolutely. Go to any absolutely. English speaking country. Yeah. From and Ireland, or even more, if you in teaching, you were teaching another language, you could go yeah. to other places as well. Yeah. yeah. And there's you know these things that are often said that you know uh, the world likes New Zealand teachers, and you know so you hear all these things and you think, oh yeah, okay, maybe maybe that might be my story. Um, so I didn't actually have a good idea of where I wanted to sort of end up, but it's quite also got a bit of an adventurous streak in me, so I love to learn and love to explore. Um, but I just did the safe hop and went to Australia. Um, it worked in a great school there, and once again it was like, oh, I've revived my passion for teaching, you know. Yeah. And I'm only in my fourth year of teaching here, so you know it's not like <laughs> I'm like quarter life crisis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And once again, loved it. And I was there for two years, but I just had this wrestle within me where I just found myself asking so many questions around um, the the environment of a school and how to best care for young people within the school. And okay. I realised that what my tension was is that I'd done a social work degree and a history okay. degree, yes. and then in post grad um, in education, you know, as a secondary school teacher, and I had this tension of going, okay, well, what is the role of the school, like? Are we here to like care for kids in a holistic way, or are we here purely just to teach them academics? Okay. And so the, that's what yes. brought me back to New Zealand to um, to Auckland. Actually, is when I shifted to Auckland to do my master's degree, and uh, it took me half a year to kind of settle with my wrestle while I did several different papers, and then I. Um, when it came up to the time that I was looking at doing my dissertation, I decided to look at pastoral care systems in New Zealand secondary schools. And I see now that I made that decision because I was still wrestling and going, okay, now, but what's the role of the teacher in the care process? What's the role of the guidance counsellor? What's the role of the principal who actually has to be involved with, you know, suspensions and all of these things that are, you know, all about the well-being of young people? So I, I spent a year doing that, um, and at the end of that, once again, it was actually really clear that it was it was important for me to go back into a school. You know, so I'd done a mix of social work papers and education papers again, um, but yeah, I was drawn back to back to the school. But the next time I found myself in a school, I stepped into a deputy principal role, where I was teaching. Uh, just 12 hours a week, um, but I was spending the rest of my time um, as the deputy principal and very much actually uh, leading the pastoral care systems in the school. Right, so once good. again, you can yeah. see that I was like, wow, God, how has this happened again? <laughs> you know, It's yeah. like this job has been curated for me. Um, and that was a very unique school. Um, uh, it was the one of the first charter schools here in New Zealand. So I was part of establishing... You know, a brand new school with a, a brand new framework <laughs> um, and it was exciting. Wow. Yeah, and I stayed at that school for, for seven years and I was actually really deeply invested. Um, saw, it, um, saw it grow, was a part of um, establishing, you know, just a, a very new and exciting way of schooling. Um, and But yet, once again, I felt this need to, to learn and to grow and to look at education from another angle again um, because once again I had more questions around okay so what what are schools for <laughs> what are we doing when we're doing these uh, teaching and learning interactions you know 
uh, should we just be continuing in these systems that we've established over and over again, you know, like, oh, and we're reinforcing, this is the way that we interact with kids, this is the way we interact with their families, this is the way we interact with their communities. Um, yeah, so lots of questions you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> and not always answered um, within the school environment, you know. Right, schools, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, yeah. schools are busy places, you know. They're busy places of care, they're bu- busy places of learning, but they're also operationally really busy. You know, there's lots going on. There's yes. lots of people. <laughs> they're, their own, they're their own village, aren't they? They're, yeah. they're really they're a, they're yeah, a, just yeah. a little mini city within a city. Absolutely, absolutely. And so I felt that need... Um, to step out of the step out of the village, if I pick up on your language there, so that I could have another sort of broad look at education again. So from there, I went into two different jobs actually. Uh, one working as a consultant, uh, so working with a a range of schools, um, looking at curriculum design and so how you can design learning opportunities um, with a project based curriculum framework. Was that uh, in a specific subject, what, what was uh, the, so, so it's what? project-based learning, so okay. it's across all subject areas, um, okay. mostly for year seven to year ten students. Okay. So looking at how you can integrate all the subjects together and bring it under the umbrella of a theme, as opposed to having individualised um, subject areas that stand in silo. So with the whole whole idea of going, okay, so how can we build student agency in this and break down those barriers of subject separation and get the students really engaged with the love of learning, Um, which, yeah, I loved. It was great. But after doing that for a year, (laughs) you can hear my journey, (laughs) can't you? Um, I was... Uh, given the opportunity to work for the spokesperson for education um, and initially I um, I hesitated I paused and I said really? Oh this um, was for one of the political parties? Yes yeah okay. so spokesperson for education for the National Party so I worked for Paul Goldsmith Okay. Um, as a researcher and um, advisor and um, he approached me for the job it wasn't a job that I was looking for um, he had been given um, a sort of a tip off from somebody else that I would be a good fit for him. So that was a surprise. It wasn't something that I sort of was like, oh, that's going to be my ultimate job. Um, but once again, I was like, oh, this is an opportunity to look really broadly at education. Yes. How and long ago was this? So uh, I actually only just finished that in uh, December last year. So, okay. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, so this is recent. Yeah, and so this really will recent. be him looking at really recent absolutely um, policy at what some of Labour's changes have been yeah and you had a front row seat at watching him yeah (laughs) yeah and not just watching it but advising him on absolutely being part of it all was really it was a fascinating um, seat to sit in yeah absolutely so what did that look like what was what was his kind of role in in holding you know, get the government to account. What What's the mm. spokesperson for the opposition doing in that sort of a role? Yeah, good question. Um, it's a lot of looking at, you know, okay, what is Labour doing? <laughs> and what are the policies that they're pushing out? And what questions can we ask of them? Um, so as a researcher, I was uh, taking policies that had um, that were active, that were live, that were being implemented, and I was uh, going through them and questioning them, critiquing them, and looking for 
for areas that we could we could question their intent and say okay is this a good idea why have you chosen this why have you put this dollar value on this um, you know what is your reason for this um, so we're doing that with with active policies things that were already um, in the school arena uh, but we're also uh, keeping an eye on new policies that were coming through and keeping an eye also on the education minister and, and things that he was releasing um, and his his diary, his engagements and going, oh, he's having conversations with those people. Wonder what that's all about. Um, so kind of, you know, keeping our um, finger on the pulse, really. So it was quite a dynamic job and <laughs> um, that there was always something happening. Um, but it was also a very political um, role. Um, as a researcher, you're apolitical, uh, so you're not allowed to bring your own politics into it. Um, but a politician is calling you and asking you questions on things on a, a daily basis. <laughs> and so you've got to be up to play with you know, him as a person, the way he thinks about education, um, what he sees and what he doesn't see. And so part of the job is also uh, giving him a bit of a historical overview on things as well. Um, for instance, um, I could give you an insight into him learning about Māori education and how that differs from state education or how that differs from um, special character schools and what the difference is between like a primary school and a secondary school. All of that, the mechanics of it, actually providing lots of information. Um, but also summarising it into just here's the 10 key points that you need to know because <laughs> it's information sure. overload, I, I right? imagine that they've just got so much coming across there. Yeah, the always, always. And in our team, um, the other person that I was working with alongside um, as a researcher and as an advisor as well had a political science background. So I often felt um, that I was playing the role of the person who was thinking like an educator. Okay. And so in conversations, you know, where it would be the three of us providing sort of context and um, giving different perspectives and even advising, I would often find myself saying, well, from a teacher's perspective, <laughs> X, Y, Z, from a teacher, I felt like a broken record at times. Um, yeah, so, but also in that space as well, it was looking at things that um, the National Party could be doing. So looking like um, internationally and, and comparing, okay, well, this is how we're looking at achievement, for instance, at, um, and maybe compulsory forms of achievement of testing in New Zealand. Okay, what are they doing in the UK? What are they doing in Canada? What are they doing in Australia? Um, so it was a very varied job. You know, there were, I feel like I constantly had two lists in hand. One was the urgent, the important, you know, Paul is going to be in front of a camera um, in the next hour, or he's going to be stand up, standing up in Parliament asking a series of questions at two o'clock. You know, need to have all of those things ready. We were writing all those things in the background. But then I also had another list of just doing deep work all the time, being aware that, you know, there could be a time where actually politics change and, you know, the National Party gets into into Parliament and into office and, you know, suddenly these policies may actually be actioned so we're just constantly working on um, on things on multiple levels and so that finished up in December of last year yeah. and you've had a new season yes. uh, kick off at Laidlaw and I suspect it's got more learning attached to it given <laughs> yeah. that this has been a thing going, a going through yeah. so yeah tell us a bit about that and then yeah we'll, we'll sort yeah of no, absolutely. near the end of last year I um, once again had that sort of 
that wrestle within me of going, okay, what's next? <laughs> um, and yeah, the jo uh, job at Laidlaw came on my radar, um, working um, primarily with the graduate diploma of teaching secondary, which is the same uh, graduate diploma I have myself. Uh, so being the lead lecturer in, in that program, as well as um, doing some work in the year three program of the Bachelor of Education. Okay. So that's where I find myself now. Um, I am currently teaching uh, two different papers and am finding that I'm doing what I typically do, is that I'm learning and loving it. <laughs> sure. um, and enjoyed the challenge um, and feeling actually just really privileged to be in a space where I get to be part of um, part of forming teachers before they engage with the, um, the education system. And I'm finding that those threads um, that I have had over the years of all stitching together all these different experiences that I've had in the education sphere, um, in some ways have all landed, you know? Like it's like I find in my lectures I'm drawing from all these different experiences and um, enjoying that actually I can share those experiences but I can also direct my students to things that I think would be really important deep learning for them before they become practitioners themselves. Yeah. So I'm not even sure whether this is the right way to sort of frame the question, but but do you have a philosophy of education? Like is that a, a fair way to sort of mm. ask the question or to ask you to describe it in that way? Do you have mm. a, a sort of a, a philosophy of education or mm. a, an approach to it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I see education as formation. Um, you know, there's different schools of thought around what education is and lots of questions and lots of debates around, you know, what education is, um, but also what schools are for. You could think of it in terms of, you know, education is all about information. You know, it's like students need to go to school to learn these particular sets of, uh, like, knowledge sets, um, and at the end of it, they should be successful, or we've prepared them to be great citizens. Or we could think of um, education as being all about instruction. So it's we're instructing you about, around... Um, all these things that you should learn and how you should act. Um, so, you know, it's kind of methodical in some ways, you know, and for in teacher education, we should just teach them about how to best instruct. <laughs> but in some ways, not actually think more broadly than that, you know, it's just like, here's the formulas and go and apply it. Um, so those are the things that I, are not a part of my philosophy. Uh, but I just started there to kind of give you a picture of Education as formation has um, some rich imagery in there. Um, I've already been using the formation, the word formation quite a yes, bit. Yes, it's cropped up already. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it might be good if I actually unpack that a little bit. And to do that, I actually want to um, yeah, look at part of the 14th century University of Paris. I'm just going to go okay. there for a minute. <laughs> Straight there. <That's, laughs> yeah, I had I, anticipated that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You knew that's where we were going. Exactly. But I think it offers a cluster of images uh, for teaching and learning that are actually quite helpful um, because I think some of our modern uh, thinking around like pedagogy and the act of teaching, we think too much about sort of methods and technique. Okay. But whereas if we think of education as formation, there's actually some imagery there around like stepping into um, a home and the interactions that take place within a home. So 
in 14th century University of Paris. It was actually really common for students to come to the university and to rent some accommodation and to be part of, say, like a, a boarding home. And the the leader or the person, the master of arts is what they used to call them, uh, the person who would oversee it was actually um, involved in the academic tutoring, so the learning process of the, of the people who lived who lived there as part of that cluster, but also was um, was charged with the responsibility of providing food and nourishment and furniture and housing and rules and routines and practices and all of those things. So it was a way of being together. And interesting, it was actually called a hospice. Now, it's not a hospice in the way that we refer to um, a hospice now in terms of like a, a place where people, we care for people when they're in their last days. It was actually, um, it was in that sense, it was a place of rest for travellers, so people who are on like an education journey. It was okay. a place for them to come and rest and to learn. Um, so the, the students or the 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 guests, um, they were uh, given hospitality. They were the strangers okay. and yes. they entered into this place of learning. Um, and it's quite interesting that these houses were often called a place of pedagogy. It was a shared dwelling place where they came and they were holistically cared for. Now, you can see that I'm, I'm laboring a little bit with my language here because you can hear the words pedagogy, you can hear the words holistic, you can hear the words, you know, learning, lifelong learning and things in just about any education institution right. like, these days. You yes. know, that's, that's People not... People wouldn't deny that that's their goal regardless no, of how no. effective they are in yeah, sort of yeah. progressing towards it. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, but when I think of um, the formation that takes place in this, um, in this sense, um, yes, I think of content and I think of planning and I think of strategy and skills and all of those things that are important. But I'm also thinking about the choices that you're making to live in a home of learning with one another. Like there's some intentionality there, right? So you're thinking about the interactions that take place, how people will rest well, how people will be nourished, um, how what the rules and the rhythms will look like within that space, um, what what sort of shared understanding of a like a shared imagination of like the world within the the home and the world outside of the home looks like. So it's you know there's richer imagery there that I think is actually really helpful. Um, so this idea of pedagogy offers a place. Um, where people will come for a temporary period of time because you don't want people to stay at school forever. Let's face it, that's not a good situation for anybody. Um, but they will come and they will learn in a collaborative space and they will be formed. They will, things will be shaped. Their Im imaginations will be shaped. Their, their longings, their loves, the things that they will care about will be shaped. And I think that that um, imagery is helpful in understanding my philosophy around teaching. I don't see teaching as just being, um, or philosophy around education quite broadly, I don't see it as just being an information or knowledge sharing activity. Now I think that that is important, I definitely am not downplaying that, um, but I also, um, yeah, I, I think there is something that's deeply formational that is going on. Bex, my next question was going to be, is there a, 
a distinctly Christian approach to education because so far nothing's come up, quote unquote. You, Christianly, how do you teach Christianly? Mm. But in some ways, I don't really have to ask the question because everything you're describing, mm. uh, Christian faith gives a rich account of, uh, a, a rich Absolutely. account of human persons, a rich account of what it means to uh, to provide hospitality, to mm. create the very environments that you're talking about. Mm. Uh, I imagine this is some of what you and the team are doing out at Laidlaw or is actually mm. trying to weave together those sorts of things. Absolutely. We're in the depths of it. I feel like I have about 50 books open at the moment with none of them actually quite closed. <laughs> but also thinking of, you know, the rounds of a PhD and thinking, okay, what could we explore within, a, you know, the PhD context of this exact topic? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, you know, you've, you've painted this rich picture from, was it the 14th century, a rich picture <laughs> of what that can look like today. Um not to go all negative, but what are some of the challenges you see in education? I imagine one of them is just that this sort of thing isn't happening in mm. many places. And I imagine you have bounced around in many capacities, but not, not least of with, which would have been with Paul Goldsmith, looking at schools, perhaps seeing this not happen. Mm. Um, but, but other challenges that you've seen along the way in, the, in our education system? Absolutely. I've got lots of critiques, <laughs> but maybe I'll just hone into a few. Um, so many changes and reforms happening in our um, in our education sector at the moment. I, you know, in my work with Paul Goldsmith, I was looking at the NCA change program, the curriculum review, the wellbeing strategy, the review of learning support. You know, my list could go on, but it was actually quite alarming to me um, the the lack of focus on teachers and the profession of teaching. Um, and the teacher in the equation of all of these reforms, you know. Um, so just to ground it, you know, like my, I painted that vision of the 14th century, but actually there's, you know, there's people right now who are producing research um, looking at the importance of the teacher. And one of those um, um, academics I could refer to is John Hattie. He's, he's known... Um, yeah, he's well, well respected um, here in New Zealand. I think he's currently in Australia. But he's done lots of research on the factors that have the greatest impact on student achievement and progress. And the results are actually really fascinating. It's got nothing to do with, you know, are we providing lunch? Are we giving them enough homework? Or are we doing these amazing goal uh, tracking systems? Or are we giving them enough technology? You know, do they have access to laptops? Um, or parent involvement, you know, like where is parent involvement and in all of that? The the scales, the the charts that he have he's produced, show the competence of the teacher and their ability to actually engage with their learners, um, being right at the top of the scale. Okay. So yeah. that is the most influential person. And so you know, I think you know, if I was going to state one thing that needs to change. I think we need to shift the focus of our education policies to the teacher um, and to valuing the teacher and to look at, okay, how can we be, um, we can be resourcing teachers better, how can we be providing more professional development for them to deal with the complexities of the job um, and of the students that they're engaging with and the societal issues that that do creep into the education space. Um, so I personally think that that's where a lot of our challenges come in, is that we're thinking of, okay, you know, the well-being of children within the school setting, 
we're thinking of about um, how can we ensure that um, our our policies and our practices are biculturally um, inclusive. These are all good things, but I think that the focus is is just not quite right. And so that creates lots of challenges. You know, there's lots of arguments around whether we should have student-led learning versus teacher-led learning, and you can find divided camps. Um, it was fascinating visiting these schools with a politician because, you know, people would talk quite candidly to you and say, you know, we want you to change this, <laughs> Paul Goldsmith. <laughs> or, you know, and you're listening to it going, oh, that's what you think, okay. Um, or... No, saying to him, actually, the National Party's got it wrong, and here's a model of the perfect school, and that was fascinating in itself as well. Um, so I, I got an insight into that, and actually the pressures that are put on schools, that create lots of challenges, you know, where the, the community hubs that aren't necessarily focused on um, valuing that exchange, that formation that is happening between the teacher and the student, you know. So I think we need to we need to return back to that. <laughs> so is there any specific advice for parents that might flow out of that as you mm. describe that sort of model, that sort of way of understanding school life? I would advise um, parents to view their child's school and their teacher through this lens of formation and ask questions of the teacher, get to know the teacher, uh, get to know the school and the way that they do things, what hospitality looks like in that school. You know, where we are all being formed, whether it's a Christian school or a non-Christian school, you know, the formation is happening. You know, it's not that there is a school where there's no formation. Um, so get to know your child's teacher, get to know the person your child is sharing a house with each day. You know, what are they doing to be hospitable to your child? What are the practices in their classroom? What are the practices in the wider school? You know, what are the things that are shaping your child? Um, you know, what has been valued in the school? Ask those questions. Look at their graduate profiles to have a look at, okay, what is the school saying that they want your child to become? <laughs> right, to come out the end of the... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Worth looking like. Absolutely. And, you know, that's become very mainstream. You know, it's... It's not that you will only find the Christian schools that are saying we want your child to be patient and you want, we want your child to be a contributor to society. You know, actually, it would be hard to find a school that hasn't got a graduate profile these days. It's, it's very mainstream. So look at those things and see whether they align with your views as a family. Um, but actually talking about the family, I do want to stress one other thing that I think is really important here. Um, so I've talked a lot about the role of the teacher. But I actually just really want to confirm and affirm that families are first educators, um, that you as parents um, are the first educators. Right. Formation is taking place in your home, you know. It's not a case of, oh, they're going to school to be formed, you know. They're right. going to school yeah. to learn. Yeah. Actually, you know, right at the beginning, um, I chatted about the fact that I've always been a learner. Well, that was actually modelled from my parents, you know, <laughs> modelled. It was a norm in our family that actually, you know, we learn. We're always seeking ways to grow and improve. Um, that was just part of our home. And so I, I just really do want to affirm that. I think yeah, that, yeah. you know, so often it can, we can have a focus on whether well, school should be doing this and, you know, and... And then the school can be saying whether the family should be doing this. But actually, I just think, okay, parents are the first educators. 
They're the ones who are defining and shaping experiences to shape the loves of their child. That's great, Vix. Yeah, I, I think there is tendency sometimes to have, be a bit fearful about what school's mm. going to be like. Are they, mm. are they malforming? Is there mal- malformation happening here? Yeah. Um, but just to give confidence back. And, you know, for people listening that have got their own kids, but also if mm. there are kids, kids in your life, in your world, You've actually got a role to play in that. We've started thinking already, who are the other yeah. adults that are going to be speaking into our kids' lives mm. now and actually trying to make those connections yeah. uh, now so that that's happening um, yeah, at, absolutely. at other times as well. Yeah. Um, Lloyd Martin um, is an academic that I've, I've read a little bit uh, of his work and one book in particular, The Invisible Table. He talks about the six individuals who sit at the table with your with your child and he talks about actually adults not not their peers you know adults and says okay it's really important for you to as as families as parents to look at okay who are those six individuals and are they people who are forming your child in a way that you want or are they going through you know are they introducing things that you don't want into your child's life um yeah, so I'd encourage parents, think of who are those six people? And, you know, you've heard that I have a lot of respect for teachers. Quite often, there is a teacher at that table with right, those children. Yes. Yeah, yeah, um, they, but they, there will be others as well, them. you know. And you as parents, you know, aunties, uncles, cousins, you know. So think more broadly Co- around... Coaches of sporting teams, yeah, things like that. absolutely. Yeah, All of those things. Yeah, yeah. They, um, yeah. You know, I've spent majority of my teaching career teaching from 12-year-olds to 18-year-olds. And, you know, like the number of parents who have come in when their children are 12 or 15 in particular, those seem to be markers where, you know, there's sort of that moving away of thinking actually mum and dad and what they say is what I'm fully going to follow. You know, so it's just like I think you can be thinking about, okay, how... Um, can we be thinking well about the formation of our child? That might be quite a nice segue to start talking a little bit about you personally, yes. outside of just this role as yeah. uh, someone committed to education. But you, you, I imagine you would be at the table of quite a few mm. uh, children if they were to have their table of six identified and certainly mm. uh, around close friends and family. Yes, you, you don't have kids of your own. Uh, no, you know, you're, no. you're single people who know you um, know mm. that. And one of the things that, mm. you know, you and I spoke about as we were preparing for this was um, to, to chat a little bit about that. We'll get to some of your interests and in your multi-sport stuff in a, in a moment. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but, you know, I, I've looked at you, we've been friends for uh, a long time and we've got friends in common as well mm. so I sort of know you through some other people too who mm. have watched your life and just doing single life really really well and some things mm. that you've just done um, that have uh, allowed you to embrace that in some ways that have got a, there's a richness there there's a an intentionality to the way that you do it mm. you have um, thrown yourself into the life of close friends and family and their kids mm. and you were saying to me just last week as we sort of said, hey, let's do this, let's sit down and have this chat, um, that that's really um, come out of quite this pastoral instinct has, mm. has kind of come out uh, in this way. Mm. So tell us a bit about that. Tell us a bit about sure. y- your journey there and maybe what, what could the church be doing better mm. in this kind of whole space of singles, marrieds, those lives colliding in some more, mm, mm. Um, in some richer ways. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a loaded question. <laughs> but I'm very well, happy. I, I, I feel I can ask it because we've chatted about this before. Hey, yeah, like we've indeed. done um, sort of church series on this yes, where yeah. there's some things are being done well, but we've got room to grow. Yeah. Um, no, it's a pleasure to to share. It's um, yeah, the single life has been um, one of those surprises of life. You know, I've talked about those the joy. Um, and the challenge and the learning that I've experienced across my my 20s and 30s. Um, But, yeah, singleness has been uh, something that has very much been part of my my whole journey of life as well Um, and has been uh, an area of grief and an area of um, wrestle. Um, But one that has actually been... um, an area of richness as well. Mm. So, you know, I can provide quite a, a, a broad response there. But maybe um, I'll just frame it around um, a couple of things. Home and family are, are really important to me. Um, mm. You only have to be with me for 10 minutes to discover that. I'm very <laughs> quick to talk about um, to talk about family. Um, I am very close with my, with my family and um, by nature, I'm quite a maternal person. Um, I was always, as a child, drawn to to children. I am um, one of five children myself, so <laughs> maybe I'm I'm used to being around a lot of people, a lot of a lot of children. Um, in terms of Myers Briggs language, you know, some people might identify with that. I'm a ENFJ, so I'm a carer, so I'm drawn to people and I make deep connections. Um, and so, you know. Having all these things that are very much part of who I am, um, and wrestling with that, but also not stepping into the world of marriage and children, um, but also being really invested in, in education, it's been it's just been a really interesting <laughs> interesting journey. Um, but you know, in it, um, I've experienced lots of love and lots of lots of richness. Um, I have made intentional um, decisions. Um, to position my myself well, um, and have been vulnerable, you know, yes, have worked yes. through things, and I so I want to acknowledge that. I don't want to just sort of, you know, say, "Oh no, but my life is great," because actually, no, I have had to be intentional. And one of those things um, is I, you know, hold my friendships really closely, um, and um, I also have. Um, ask my family to be on the journey with me of, you know, like I don't have these external changes of like, you know, I've got married, I've had children and all those things that people can kind of connect with like, oh great, you're, you're, you know, this is how you're tracking in life kind of thing. Actually being quite explicit, like, no, no, this is a, this is a season that I'm finding hard or, you know, like I can give you a practical example of that. Um, You know, in my um, mid-30s and thinking, am I just going to be flatting forever, you know, like yeah, is this yeah. what life is going to be, you know yes. like I'm just yeah. going to be living in these revolving houses where people come and people go and is this going to be my life, and struggling with that to be honest, and going you know, there's aspects of family life that that I admire or love because of, there is the sense of like you're, you're, you're rooted in you, you establish a home because that's good for well, for couples and for for children, for places to thrive in, um, yeah. So a couple of years ago, um, actually intentionally, I purchased a house with my younger brother and my sister-in-law, who's also a very good close friend of mine. Um, 
and embarked on the journey of living together and uh, the journey of raising two wonderful little girls as well. They have um, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, so I've been part of um, the home um, for the birth of the children and now the parenting of the children. Which, um, yeah, so that that's just been a real privilege. And in that, it's allowed me to, to put my roots down and feel like, okay, no, I, I, I am... I am grounded here. I'm invested in others. Um, I am still single. I am still don't have children, um, but actually, I'm supporting them. I'm part of the fabric of their family, and they are also part of the fabric of of who I am as a single. You know, nice. and so, um, and and doing that with with wider group of friends as well. You know, so we live in Mangani Bridge. We have close friends nearby. Um, you know, it's. It's very, very, um, yeah, frequently I'm sitting at a table with multiple children, um, you know, having those chaotic conversations and trying to, <laughs> trying to have a conversation but trying to entertain and be part of a, a story time and, you know, yeah. you know, and it's great. I'm part of it all and um, I've been intentional about that and, yeah, that's been really life-giving. And has some of that flowed into church life too? How has your have the church mm. communities that you've been a part of over the years done this well, or, or perhaps not so well? Have there been mm. room for improvement? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been confronting at times. You know, being uh, a single in, in a church environment where you know there is a lot um, that is geared for families, and uh, you know. Um, which is a good thing, and, and for youth and all the different programs, but when you're like myself, where you're in your mid-30s um, and you're single, you can feel like the silent minority. Um, so I have had to be intentional in church as well, okay, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, um, yeah. getting my, getting involved in things, um, you know, being sort of, going, you know, this might be for families, but I'm also going to participate in this as well, you yeah, know. Yeah. I, I want to, and this is a good thing. And, you know, I think, and letting people know that, yes, I do live a rich life. Like, it's not all negative. Yes, there's grief there, but actually there are things that, you know, I want to con- contribute in as well. You yes. know, I'm available. I want to be part of this. Um, and can contribute. I can remember. Yeah. I didn't get married till I was 36, I think it is. I should know that. should know the date of the anniversary too, probably. We can sort that out after the show. <laughs> yeah. um, but just this presumption that somehow you were a little bit lacking until this mm, thing had come yeah. up. I mean, it's almost the cliche, isn't it? But yeah. when you actually quote some of the things that you end up having said to you, you're yes. aware that that sort of cliche is there for a reason, that you're, oh, absolutely. you're being treated absolutely. in this way. Um, yeah, I've quite struck around the negative framing of questions at times, um, where, you know, people don't realise it, I'm not trying to play a blame game here, but it can be kind of, things can be framed in, in terms of a negative bias, so, oh, are you miserable, you know, is it hard <laughs> being surrounded by families and children? Um, when hard to believe that they'd actually be questions put to you, isn't it? I know, but there we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely, so, but maybe that's also led to, um, to some good things for me as well, you know, actually having to be quite intentional around you know, what does it look like to be part of a, a church community and how can I contribute? And But also, like, looking at, you know, actually I do have the privilege of 
having time to be to be part of some of the activities of the church life yes. where some of my friends and my family just don't have that space in their life they don't have that buffer and so you know actually viewing it as a privilege as opposed to being like oh you know, this is I'm the silent minority, and never talking about singleness from the pulpit, but that's okay, you know, like, yeah. So yeah, just giving and, it a bit more airtime would, yeah, would be a start. Hey, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. In terms of some of that richness, as we sort of draw things to a close, mm-hmm. I. I, I I do know you've got a rich life. In fact, sometimes I, I uh, see the amount that you manage to fit in, and it's uh, a bit, bit intimidating. But I know you do, do do a lot of sport. You, you're, um, was it ocean swimming that I yes. sort of was chatting yep. to you about a yep. wee while ago over the summer? You did a summer series of that. Yes, absolutely. Other stuff. So just run through a bit of a list of the extracurricular stuff you've got going on. Yeah. Um, oh, where do I start? Uh, maybe by saying that I I love getting out of nature. So you okay, know I've yeah. talked lots about you know where the things that I question and the things that I'm learning. But I actually I absolutely love um, being out in the outdoors. It feeds my soul. And so yes, I do ocean swimming. Um, I do uh, cycling. I do running. Uh, so put all those together. I dabble a little bit in the triathlon world. Um, so if I could get into a huge expanse of water in the weekend, or if I could cycle preferably somewhere on the outskirts of the city or if I can run on an off-road track yeah. I just feel like you know my my whole being is just in a different space um, yeah. and that feeds me and I yeah. think it allows me to to also operate in other other places as well so yeah so that kind of the sports side um, I also sew so I have like a little bit of a creative outlet when the sun has gone down and I can't be out in the elements. I, I did not know that. Yeah, there you I, go. I wow. sew. Yeah, whenever I can, which isn't a huge amount, but I love to be creative, and that's just in a, a creative yeah. expression. Outlet so for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's awesome. good. Um, because yeah, I, I do find myself um, in the governance space as well. I'm on the the board at Ben, yes. um, and I serve on several different school boards as well. Okay. Um, and yeah, I'm in, involved in my church, uh, St James and Margaret Bridge. So all these things, you know, kind of, yeah, you can see that I enjoy it all. I'm interested in the service because actually a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, when I said I was catching up with you, said that that was something that they, mm. they used that word service. And where do you think that's Is that something, again, your parents modelled to you was mm. just get involved, serve, yep, be others focused? Absolutely. Um, that's one of the things that would crop up if people were writing out lists of yeah. the sort of person you are, Bex. Yeah. I think that would come up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, service and loyalty. So, and maybe even being from the far north where, you know, everybody just actually has to get involved, you know, like, um, and being part of a family where my parents started a school and was a school when I was very young, that sense of like everything is always developing. I, and there's always a need to contribute, um, yes. and so yeah, I've I feel like it's just the overflow of who I am, yeah. and I feel like I'm alive <laughs> when yeah. I do it. You know, so it's not like that. Oh, I should tick that box. Yeah, you know, it doesn't sit in that category. It's like oh no, like this is I'm contributing so that others can also experience whatever it is that I'm serving. Um, but so it's kind of like serving the work, serving serving community. I think yeah, it is part of me. And what's kind of um, feeding your imagination at the moment? What 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 are you being sort of stimulated by? I imagine there's stuff that you're doing for your, for your PhD and yeah. you know, work related stuff, but yeah, but other yeah. stuff as well. What's what are your inputs at the moment? 
Oh, lots of inputs. <laughs> I uh, have to say, I um, on the side of my bed, there are a lot of books at the moment. <laughs> I think that's representative of the fact that I've started a new job. Um, yes. And so I'm doing, um, yeah, lots of reading. Um, yeah, really interesting reading um, Who's Afraid of Postmodernism um, by James oh, K. Okay. Smith. Yeah, James yeah, Smith, yeah. Um, Actually, I'm on my second way through it now. <laughs> yeah, I'm just really appreciating um, yeah, the way he's unpacking things. Um, I'm also reading um, Reading While Black. Um, yeah, really interesting read um, by Esau McCauley. Um, uh, yeah, both of these texts are very work-related um, in many ways because I'm, I'm teaching a, a paper on um, critical pedagogy. And so just really grappling with the content of the paper, but also how theology speaks to the topic. Um, Yeah, so all my reading, I have to say, is stimulating my imagination in terms of, um, yeah, my my work context, but um, I'm loving it. Um, But... Yeah, I'm also feeding my imagination with music, um, and yeah. we've actually adopted some um, Sabbath practices at home, which oh, okay. has been so life-giving. It's been yeah. great. So Friday evenings um, from uh, 6 o'clock, we have a roast meal by candlelight, and we keep the, the lights off um, for the whole evening, and we read or listen to music, and... Um, or just sleep, <laughs> you know, oh, it's great. great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's yeah, it's been it's been really really good. Actually, just pausing, yeah, um, yeah and doing life by by candlelight. You know, it's wow. been yeah. yeah. So that has actually been feeding me in many ways. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. yeah, and just actually embracing that that practice of Sabbath. Um, we've been doing that right through to um, nine a.m. on Saturday morning. So we have our phones off that whole time as well. Um, and yeah, just actually play with the kids and have breakfast and read books with one another. And yeah, like I think you can probably gauge um, through all that I said, I'm an active relaxer, um, you know, and I live with others who are active relaxers as well. And so it's just been a really great practice for us. Um, yeah, and want to do more of it. <laughs> oh, well, what a that's a great note to end on, yeah. Bex. Um, and thanks so much for, for taking the time to, mm. to chat. Maybe one recommendation for us, uh, you mentioned music, Ooh, something yeah. that is on your Spotify playlist at the moment. Is there anything you can yeah. recommend to us? Yeah, I'm loving um, uh, Penny and Sparrow. don't know if you've listened to any of them. They're a bit like indie folk um, from Austin, Texas. Okay. Yeah, I just like the beautiful harmonies. I quite like raw harmonies and music. Awesome. Yeah, yeah well, like, we'll go out on a bit of those. Yeah, people can, people yeah, can look yeah them up. totally. No, yeah. really. Yeah, kind of like, you know, the Mumford and Sons sort of vibe. Yeah. Start over.